on. What is up, Football Life? This is Football Life presents the Audible Week 2 Recap Edition. I am your host, Randy Hammond. A lot of guys out for the season after Week 2 this week, and it's unfortunate, but we have a guy who's battling through injuries, not done for the season. He's here fighting through it, my co-host, Matt Bushnell. How you doing, buddy? You know, Randy, I don't believe in sitting games out. I didn't sit it out during my playing career, and you know... You play through pain. This is I'm not injured. I'm just hurt. And a, a quick shout-out to Ricky Velasquez, my guy Ricky, fellow White Sox fan. We need to cheer on the White Sox. They're struggling. Let's go, Sox. Yes, this is a football podcast disguised as a White Sox podcast uh, on occasion with Matt Bushnell here. Uh, we have a loaded show pack for you. Like I said, the Week 2 recap, we're going to break down each and every game from Week 2. Uh, we're going to talk about all the injuries that came out of this week, and Matt, they are a ton of them. There are a ton of them, and it's unfortunate. A lot of really good players out for the year. We'll break down those, and then we're going to talk about the fantasy impact of those injuries. We're going to talk about how you can adjust if you lost a running back or some waiver wire pickups you could be looking at uh, tonight going into tomorrow. But like I said, we're going to break down each and every game this week. So we're going to start with Monday Night Football. If I was a company fan for ESPN, this is where we'd play the and you know the rest uh but the oakland raiders debuting the big roomba the black hole stadium one of the weirdest looking stadiums on the outside but inside matt it is pretty very nice stadium for the oakland raiders even with no fans i cannot wait to see what the raiders faithful does when the fans are allowed back in there because it is it's not quite so five but it is totally unique to the raiders and i love the look of it what did you think Oh, I just, it's so beautiful. I've seen on the inside. I love the natural grass. I love how they copied it from the Cardinals rolling it outside when they're not playing. Just all the touches, the torch, you know, and really what really got my attention, Randy, was like the lower level seating. It looked pretty spacious. It looked really nice. I'm glad I live in Arizona. I will be going to a Raiders game as soon as that bad boy opens up to the public. It is on my must-watch list or must-go-to list. Along with And lucky me, SoFi Stadium's four and a half hours away from me too, baby, so I'm going to be hitting that one up too. Yeah, so Matt Bushnell living the life as far as quality stadiums goes in 2020. We're all very jealous. Uh, whenever fans go over back, you know, Matt's going to have a whole stadium tour to himself. I'm very jealous about that considering the Giants and Jets made a whole stadium 10 years ago, and it looks like a tin can. So credits to these, these organizations making state-of-the-art stadiums, and this is why this game is on Monday Night Football, was to debut this beautiful facility. Uh, and the Raiders took on the Saints, who were without Michael Thomas, and the Raiders put it on it, put it on them, Matt. And to your credit, you called this outcome here. The Raiders came out fighting, and Gruden had their guys ready to go. This game, to me, all about Waller, the baller, Darren Waller, our friend Felipe Malicio's favorite tight end in all of football. It's 12 catches for 103 yards and a touchdown, completely screwing me out of a fantasy football victory late on Monday night. Uh, but I should have known better. The guy is a straight-up baller and one of the best stories in the NFL. Yeah, seeing him come alive for the Raiders, it's Derek Carr's post-game press conference. You can kind of tell how much they love Darren Waller on this team. And just an absolute mismatch all night long for the Saints. Um, I, I know the Saints will talk about um, Davis, their linebacker that tried covering him. They tried covering him with a safety. At one point, I believe even Marcus Lattimore was covering him. And still, I mean, I think he ended the night with 16 or 17 targets with 14 receptions. I mean, it was just th those fantasy owners that played against the guy who had Waller. Looking at you, Ricky, thank you very much for kicking my ass this week. But 
Man, it was just brutal to have to see your fantasy team go down to a tight end like that last night. It happened but... to me. It happened to me. I was up 10 going into the night, and uh, you know, I lost by 20 thanks to Darren Waller. Um, but the Saints, you know, they, they still fought hard, I thought, without Michael Thomas, one of their most important players. And this was the Alvin Kamara show. I mean, their whole offense started and ended with number 41, 13 carries, 79 yards, two rushing touchdowns. But he had nine catches for 95 yards. Uh, if you have Al Kamara in fantasy, you'll love that. But also, if you're a Saints fan, you know, the focus is on one guy, and that's got to be a little demoralizing if I'm a New Orleans fan. <clears throat> yeah, you, you saw a lot of age with New Orleans last night. Um, even without Michael Thomas, Drew Brees made a horrible decision to throw back into the middle of the field. Never saw the tight or the linebacker that dropped in coverage. Easy interception. They were getting pressure on Brees all night long. I, I didn't love two of the penalties against the Saints, though. One, the, the roughing the passer because um, Hendrickson hit the helmet of Carr, kind of incidental contact. He was really in no man's land. Like they said on the um, broadcast, you taught to get your hands up in the air to try to knock down the pass. Rough call on that one. And then I believe there was a pass interference call that I thought was kind of ticky-tacky, didn't necessarily agree with it. But at the end of the day, I saw a lot from Drew Brees that I would be concerned about if I'm a Saints fan. Yeah, I saw plenty of memes regarding Jameis Winston uh, about potential playing time this year, not even due to an injury, which isn't going to happen. But uh, I think Drew Brees would have to get injured for Jameis to see the field. Um, Brees finishes 26 to 38, 312 yards, a touchdown, a pick. Um, you know, not the greatest day, but again, without Michael Thomas, I mean, you'll, you'll take that. Uh, the Saints defense did a good job on Josh Jacobs. He had 27 carries for 88 yards. And, um, you know, Derek Carr, I think this is a big reason why maybe um, the Raiders are noncommittal to him long term, because despite the 28 to 38 for 280 yards and three touchdowns, you have two brutal fumbles. Um, you can't really get the full clean game out of him. It doesn't seem like to me, but uh, what did you think of Derek Carr in this game? I think one of the fumbles didn't bother me as much. I think that was on the pitch, um, mm -hmm. one of those fumbles. Where I thought the running back – the running back had it, Richard. He should have hauled it in. There was no excuse for that fumble, just a terrible mistake. Yeah. But the pitch wasn't perfect. Um, I'm sorry, the toss was not perfect. But still, you know, the running back has to take that in. Carr bothers me in his – not willing to pull the trigger like he had a couple guys down deep his deep ball's not that great I, I don't love his deep ball accuracy what you see from Russell Wilson and we'll touch on that in a little bit is like that perfect arc to give his wide receiver a play where Carr never mm -hmm. gives his wide receiver a play on the deep ball so I, I think that may rub Gruden the wrong way eventually and that's why I mm -hmm. think they're non-committal to, to him yeah, I, uh, I don't love Carr. I always feel like he's a big dinker and dunker. But he actually had some nice throws downfield today. But overall, you know, I'd like him to clean up some of those things because he's not the most mobile guy. He's not the, most, he's not the guy who's going to take the most chances by any means. But, you know, the Raiders have a good offensive line. They have a scrappy defense. They totally fit the personality of John Gruden. Uh, and one guy on the Vegas defense that I want to point out, and I want to get your thoughts on this, but, uh, and I don't might be reaching here, but the, the first-round pick from last year, miss all last year, Jonathan Abram is a safety. Uh, he only had four tackles. But he is all over the field, uh, and he kind of gives me Rodney Harrison vibes. I don't know if you noticed him or you get those kind of thing, uh, get that kind of sense as well. But what do you what do you think of the Raiders' defense and specifically Abram at all? I I, I love Abrams on this defense, man. It's like that playing with his hair on fire, saying mm -hmm. this guy flies, and you mm -hmm. definitely feel his presence on the field. It makes that back end of the defense better. 
um, he's not Jamal Adams talent level, but he's probably that notch below. If he can produce this season, he kind of has that talent that you see. I, I, I love the kid. I think he's going to be really good. He can stuff the box. He can play coverage and he attacks sideline to sideline. Yeah. Uh, I'm a big fan of Abram and I'm excited to see if he can stay healthy all year. He has potential to be one of the best safeties in the NFL this year uh, in the NFL in general. So, all right, let's move on to the next primetime game of the week, which this is a, a classic uh, rematch of Super Bowl 49. I believe I called it 48 last Friday. I apologize. It was 49, which was the Malcolm Butler interception game. Uh, instead of handing it off to Marshawn Lynch, the Seahawks famously throw it at the goal line. This is the Patriots versus the Seahawks, except for Tom Brady playing quarterback for the Patriots, Cam Newton. And Cam Newton played pretty well. Um, I know you seem to you think that there's some garbage time stats in there, but I really did think Cam looked healthy. He had some, you know, really good throws downfield, which he has been too hurt to throw in the last few years. Um, but this game, uh, I mean, the, the uh, I should say the scores of these games too. Uh, the Raiders won 34 to 24 over the New Orleans, and the uh, Seahawks won 35 30 over the Patriots. But this game to me is my all about my MVP pick. It is all about Russell Wilson spreading the ball around, throwing five touchdown passes to five different players and just being the best player on the field. Yeah, without a doubt, Randy. I mean, that's a slam dunk MVP pick, and I don't think his numbers are going to go down. I think we're seeing the emergence of how good DK Metcalf is. Like, he was Mm -hmm. taking Stephon Gilmore – you know, it, it was a battle. That was a joy to watch. I thought Gilmore had plays where he outplayed Metcalf. I thought Metcalf had plays where he outplayed Gilmore. But Russell Wilson puts the ball in such a spot where it's almost impossible for the defender to try to get to it. I think Seattle is going to struggle at the line play. I think the running game leaves a little bit to be desired. I thought Belichick did a great job scheming them up, even though it was 35-24 at one point. Um, but I, I may have that score wrong. I may have it backwards, 35-21 possibly. Um, I'm losing track of my score in there. But to me, it just – 24. Okay. Yeah, yeah. To, to, yeah. to me, it just never felt like the Pats were going to win this game mm-hmm. when we got to the second half. I mean, even though it was close, Wilson makes this offense go, and he's such a dynamic player. And bravo to you for picking him for the MVP. Such a good pick. I know it's not kind of like the popular pick. I picked Mahomes, easy kind of cherry picking there. But this has to be Wilson's year. He didn't win it last year. He didn't win it the year before. He's never gotten a vote. I I know. And how how ridiculous is that? We're talking about one of the best quarterbacks of our generation. Right now, he has to be the best quarterback in the NFL. I'd have – I mean, from the first two weeks, you'd be hard-pressed to find someone who's been more effective than Russell Wilson. Um, You know, Russell Wilson finishes 21-28, 288 yards. Like I said, five touchdown passes. He did throw an interception. Um, And he had five carries for 39 yards. He's doing it with both his his arm and his legs. Um, Carson helped out a little bit, 17 carries, 72 yards, and had a touchdown reception. Uh, I do want to talk about Cam Newton a little bit here, though, because he had over 400 total yards. 30 for 44, 397 yards passing, one touchdown, one pick, uh, and also 11 carries for 47 yards and two touchdowns. Um, I I know that, you know, that they might have been down big and there might have been some garbage time stats here, but Cam looks really, really good. And I don't know if I can expect him to play that well, um, you know, the whole season. But Edelman set a record for receiving yards in this game, which eight catches for 179 yards. He, he seems like he has a rapport with Cam Newton. If I'm a Patriots fan, I absolutely love what I've seen from Cam so far. I think this game I'm probably a little bit more down on Cam, obviously, than you are. I felt they left points on the board. Um, Cam missed some throws that I wish he would have connected on. Same accuracy issues. 
I and I mean Nikhil Harry. I'm hoping for more. I want to see more from Nikhil Harry, especially as much as Newton targeted him. I thought that if Harry can get more um, targets, open more, it may help um, Cam Newton. But overall, the signing has been a huge success. I, I think when you look at who they have as their second string with Stidham, there's no way it, it could be anyone else but Newton starting for this team. He gives them a chance to win every week. Granted, it was the Seahawks, and they just got outplayed. It was on the road. Not an easy place to play, even without fans. The weather gets a little bit wonky along with the wind. Russell Wilson, it's almost impossible to beat there if it's not the Arizona Cardinals. So <laughs> I just really think that I tip my cap to Cam. I don't, I don't think he's on the upper echelon of quarterbacks, but he looks like he can play for this team. I mean, we're not even talking about the Patriots uh, as being relevant if Jared Stidham is the starting quarterback of this team right now. There are people very excited about the Patriots who think that they can win the division again this year, um, even over the Bills, who look great. Um, and to your point, Nikhil Harry, eight catches for 72 yards on 12 targets, probably the best game of his professional career so far. Um, but, you know, Harry was picked over guys like DK Metcalf uh, and A.J. Brown and all these great receivers that have been more effective for their team. So for the Patriots' sake, they need him to play better. Um, for sure. So this was a classic game on Sunday Night Football. Uh, I loved it. The fans not being there bothered me a little bit because the 12s are so loud and they break the decibel record pretty much every time. Um, but, you know, the quality of football in this game was was great, and I loved watching it. I'm glad they picked this game for primetime. I want to get one last thought from you before we move on to the rest of the games. What did you think of the play call at the end of the game at the goal line with Cam running that uh, quarterback dive? Uh, I know that play works throughout the, the course of the game, but it seems to be some controversy every time these two plays, <laughs> these two teams play with goal line calls at the end of the game. So uh, I had kind of thought Cam had an angle to kick it outside. What did you think? Man, anytime you take it outside, it, it kind of leaves you to, you know, get tackled. I'm not sure if Cam has the speed to hit that outside corner. I, to me, I thought he had an angle as well. I think anytime you're in that situation, the one thing I didn't like was about maybe three plays beforehand or two plays beforehand when they were inside the 20 and they're just dinking and dunking, trying to get into the goal line. I, th I think when you get to the red zone, it gets a lot cramped. I would have took three shots at the end zone, you know, from that second play when they got inside the 20, you got more space to work with more wide receiver routes, more combo routes. You can try to separate from DBs. I, I just didn't like the plays leading up to it. I didn't have a huge problem at the goal line with that last play. Like you said, it worked all game. So Cam's a big body quarterback. I, I'm really not going to argue with it. I just thought, you know, a couple of plays beforehand, they probably should have took their shots at the end zone via passing. Mm -hmm. I don't hate the play call. It worked all game. Who am I to uh, criticize Bill Belichick in this play calling? Uh, he would know better than me. All right, we're going to move on now to the rest of the slate of games. We're going to go a little bit of rapid fire here uh, and start off with the early games. Let me just pull up the order quick here. I am going to go first, and I'm going to start off with probably the game of the day on Sunday, or at least the choke job of the century, besides the other game the Falcons choked on <laughs> earlier this decade. Uh, the Falcons led, uh, I believe, 21 nothing. They led 39-17. to They led 39-24. to uh, this game was nearly impossible to lose. The Cowboys uh, had three fumbles in the first half. And the, and this is the stat going around with this game that everybody's talking about. But in the history of football, since they started tracking turnovers, uh, teams that score 39 points with zero turnovers uh, were 440-0 and 0 
all time in NFL history. And now there is a one attached to that, thanks to the Atlanta Falcons absolutely blowing this game to the Dallas Cowboys. And I will just point out some of the highlights here. I mean, Matt Ryan played really well, though. This is the thing about the Falcons. They go up big, uh, they have the game in hand, and then they absolutely shoot themselves in the foot. The Julio Jones drop uh, is as bad of a drop Julio has ever had in his career, and that seals the game. Uh, brings you back to the Super Bowl where they're in field goal range. All Matt Ryan has to do is throw the ball away uh, or it, it not take a sack. He takes a sack. Not only does he take a sack, he fumbles the ball two plays later, completely changes the momentum of the game. If they kick a field goal, the game is over. Um, so the Cowboys win this game 40-39. to 39. Matt Ryan finishes 24-36, 273 yards, four touchdowns, was having his way with the Cowboys defense the entire game. Like not no resistance whatsoever. But somehow the Falcons learn like somehow the Falcons give up an astronomical amount of points in a short amount of time. Dak Prescott played very well in this game, I thought. Uh, 34, 47, 450 yards and a touchdown passing. And he also had a couple of rushing touchdowns, at least I thought. Maybe I misread that, but uh, let's see. Yes, he had three rushing touchdowns. So Dak doing it on both the ground and in the air, but this is a um, this Falcons team is, is ridiculous. Uh, Gurley only had 21 carries for 61 yards. Calvin Ridley played another great game. He's emerging as one of the best wide receivers in the league. Seven catches for 109 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, Hayden Hurst, my late tight end sleeper in fantasy, finally did something. Five catches for 72 yards and a touchdown. Russell Gage played well again. But Julio Jones, two catches for 24 yards on four targets and the brutal drop. Um, which led to one of the more interesting onside kicks that I've ever seen by Greg Zerline, which is an underrated free agent signing for the Cowboys. He kicks it and it spins like a helicopter and the Cowboys are huddling around it, let it go 10 yards, and then they recover it, thus leading to a Zerline game-winning field goal as time expired. So I, I want to give credit to Dallas here, but at the same time, I just can't help but to kill the Falcons in this game. They, they, they had this game won, and they are the kings of shooting themselves in the foot and blowing games. So... Uh, Matt, what games are next on the slate? Right, we got the Packers and Lions, typical Lions fashion, as Leon knows all too well. They jump out to an early 14-3 lead, and then it just spells disaster from there on forward. Packers end up scoring, I don't know, a gazillion consecutive points. I believe it was 31 consecutive points without a Lions answer. Aaron Jones, basically the only numbers you need to know is he had 236 total yards and <laughs> three touchdowns. Aaron Rodgers didn't have to work as hard this game. 18 for 30, 240 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions, and the Lions are 0-2 after carrying a lead by double digits. Gotta love that. Um, sorry, Leon, the poor Lions. Um, all right. Moving on to Tennessee, where the Titans jump out to a huge lead over the, uh, the Jaguars. They were up 24-10 to 10 at one point, uh, maybe even more than that at, some, at one point. But Gardner Minshew refuses to say die. He led the Jaguars all the way back to tie the game at 30 late in the game. But Ryan Tannehill on the Titans, away from Adam Gase, is a different man. He finishes 18-24 to 24 for 239 yards and four touchdown passes against the Jags. Uh, this team, this game is a lot more entertaining than I thought. This was shaping up to be a blowout. The Titans are establishing themselves as the dominant team in this division. Gardner Minshew is very entertaining to watch. He's not perfect. He's not the best by any means, but he puts on a show. He's 30 or 45, 339 yards, three touchdowns, did have two interceptions, but man, uh, he, I, I just love the way he plays. He's super entertaining to watch, and he's perfect for the Jags in a rebuilding situation. Um, Robinson for the Jags had 16 carries for 102 yards and a touchdown. So they're not missing Leonard Fournette all that much. 
I mean, you look at the ball spread out wise for the receiving. I mean, Chark had four catches for 84 yards. Cole had six catches for 58 yards. Conley had four catches. O'Shaughnessy had four catches. I mean, Minshew was spreading the ball out to people. Uh, I just can't help but to be impressed by what I've seen from Gardner Minshew to this point. But the Titans, man, defensively, more talent on offense. Uh, they escaped with this win. Don't get me wrong. Jacksonville scored 13 points in the fourth quarter, but Tennessee ended up pulling it out in the end. Derrick Henry, quiet game, 25 carries for 84 yards. Uh, and the Titans would go on to win 33-30. to 30. I, I, I don't even know what to say about this game, Randy. Colts, Vikings, you know, for I don't know how many times I have to say Kirk Cousins is trash. People were telling me, oh, man, this is a different Kirk Cousins. Stephon Diggs was the cancer to this team. Well, guess who threw three back-breaking interceptions, only threw for 113 yards, 11 for 26. I mean, this was complete garbage. It's Kirk Cousins, as I know and hate him. He will kill your team. He sucks against good competition, and they do it again. They lost 28-11 to to Indianapolis. I don't even know how Indianapolis scored 28 points, Randy. I mean, we take a look at Phillip Rivers throwing, you know, his typical one interception per game, one touchdown, 19-25, 214 yards. Jonathan Taylor, this may have been the Jonathan Taylor coming out game, 26 carries, 101 yards, one touchdown. And then a tight end. If you guys have not picked him up, Mo Alley Cox, very underrated tight end. Finally, Philip Rivers has found his Antonio Gates with the Colts, five receptions, 111 yards, very solid game. Big things from the Colts coming up possibly. All right, moving on to Miami. And I think it might be time, Matt, and I don't know how you feel, but it might be time for the Josh Allen apology tour because the man threw his very first 300-yard game in week one, and he followed it by throwing his first ever 400-yard game in week two. Uh, we have bashed Josh Allen a lot in this offseason, in this preseason, and since he basically became a professional, but he has balled out so far this season. Uh, the Bills would beat the Dolphins 31-28, to 28, uh, which was kind of an interesting score. I mean, the Buffalo was down late, but, you know, Josh Allen finishes with 24-35, 417 yards and four touchdowns, no picks, no fumbles, and hand up. I said Stephon Diggs was overrated. I said I didn't think he was that good of a receiver. Maybe this is the Diggs effect because he had eight catches for 153 yards and a touchdown. Stephon Diggs made an incredible play on the sideline before the last touchdown to John Brown. This team is playing well on all cylinders. Uh, the Zach Moss addition is killing my Devin Singletary stock in fantasy, but he is a nice addition to the power running game and Singletary is a nice, they're a good one, two punch, I think. But uh, if you watch the bills uh, and you have watched the bills for the last two years and you look at other quarterbacks, especially maybe one in the division that might not be developing at the same speed, you have to be looking at Josh Allen and say, uh, this guy has gotten so much better. He has worked hard. He has, His accuracy issues still remain, but they're better. Um, and Stephon Diggs is a game changer for him. He is an elite number one receiver that maybe that's all he needed at the end of the day. Um, you know, I'm a big believer that Odell Beckham Jr. extended Eli Manning's career by five years. Perhaps this is a similar situation where Stephon Diggs enhances Josh Allen's career and the Bills are legit contenders because they looked damn good in this game, especially on the offensive side. Defensively, disappointing because Ryan Fitzpatrick was 31 of 47, 328 yards, two touchdowns. He looked great. Uh, he spread the ball to Mike Gesicki, had eight catches for 130 yards. You're looking for a tight end. That might be a guy who's available in your league. Grab him up if you need. Isaiah Ford, seven catches, 76 yards. Devontae Parker, five catches, 53 yards. 
And if you need a running back, and we're going to talk fantasy in a little bit, but Miles Gaskin had seven carries for 46 yards, and he had also had six catches for 36 yards. So obviously he's getting a bulk of the work there at running back. Um, I was surprised the Bills were down late in this game, but Josh Allen, man, stepping up when the team needed the most throwing a game-winning touchdown to John Brown late in the fourth quarter to win the game, 31-28 Buffalo. Yeah, just for the record, I'm not getting off this Josh Allen is trash train. He played the Dolphins and the Jets. No love for me. But moving on, we have the 49ers and the Jets, and no win that I can remember has ever been more costly than the 49ers beating the Jets. I mean, Mm -hmm. basically the Jets may have handed the division to the Seahawks in second place to the Cardinals with this win. Jimmy Garoppolo, Raheem Mostert. Tevin Coleman, Nick Bosa. I mean, and I, I know there's a couple other guys that got hurt in this game too. All out. Significant time. Jimmy Garoppolo may start. Raheem Mostert is out probably multiple weeks. Nick Bosa tore his ACL. He's done for the year. So we're going to have to see how this team recovers. So it's a Jarek McKinnon show here on out. But the 49ers somehow win this game 31-13 against the hapless Jets. Adam Gase has no business being a head coach. Just terrible, 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 terrible play calling. Jimmy Garoppolo, 14 for 16, 131 yards, two touchdowns in his brief stint. We told you to start 49er running backs, and here's why. Mostert, eight carries, 92 yards, a touchdown. Jarek McKinnon, three carries. Three carries, ladies and gentlemen, for 77 yards and one touchdown. Tevin Coleman had 14 carries and 12 yards. He's he's out for a while as well. So without Coleman and Mostert, buy that Jarek McKinnon stock immediately. Um, Jets, n- nothing much to speak from here. Sam Darnold, 21 for 32, 179 yards, one touchdown. Frank Gore, the oldest man in football. I think he's 50, but his birth certificate may say otherwise. 21 carries, 63 yards. This game was over from when the whistle started. They couldn't beat the 49ers, even with half the team getting hurt. And we'll talk more about injuries a little later in the show. So stick around and we'll break those down uh, in just a little bit. On to Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love uh, is not loving their team and their quarterback play at the moment. Carson Wentz has been one of the more disappointing, disappointing players in the NFL this year. Another game where he just does not look like he's very good. He has severe accuracy issues and it looks like he has regressed. Uh, it is year five now for Carson Wentz. He got paid. Um, but if I'm an Eagles fan, I am concerned about Carson Wentz. He finishes 26-43, 242 yards and two picks en route to a 37-19 to loss to the Rams. The Rams just – this game was never really that close. I mean, at halftime it was it was a one-point game, but the Rams just took control after that. This game, you know, McVay completely outcoached Peterson, which is surprising to me, especially a team on the West Coast traveling to the East Coast. Uh, Goff played a pretty clean game, 20-27, 267 yards, three pit, three touchdowns, no picks. Um, you know, the three-headed running back monster for the Rams is working, too. They're not missing Todd Gurley at all. Daryl Henderson, 12 carries, 81 yards, and a touchdown. Malcolm Brown, 11 carries, 47 yards, did leave the game with an injury. Cam Akers also dealing with injury issues, had three carries for 13 yards. Uh, the Rams are way better than I think either of us thought were going to be in the offseason. And they're coming out and they're proving that um, maybe golf is better than we thought. Maybe McVay is better than we thought, but the Eagles are definitely worse than we thought. Uh, they have, they play, you know, not, not inspiring defense. Their offense is just a mess. They are obviously banged up, but uh, Miles Sanders is the only thing of note in this game offensively for the Eagles, 20 carries, 95 yards and a touchdown um, Deshaun Jackson, six catches, 64 yards. But if I'm an Eagles fan, 
I am conflicted on Wentz, to say the least. Yeah, moving on, we have the Broncos and Steelers. Uh, you talk about costly wins. We have another costly win. Or, sorry, costly loss for the Broncos. They lose Drew Locke four to six weeks with a – I forget what they call that injury, but he's out with a shoulder An AC injury. AC joint, right? Yep, AC. Yep. So he's out with a shoulder injury. And then the big blow, Cortland Sun out for the rest of the year, torn ACL. Pittsburgh goes on to win 26-21. Jeff Driscoll does his best John Elway impersonation, but it's not good enough. 18 for 34, 256 yards, two touchdowns, one pick. Uh, Locke was one for five, 20 yards, got hurt early. So not a whole lot going on there. Steelers, ho-hum as usual. Uh, Ben Roethlisberger, 29 for 41, 311 yards, two touchdowns. Big Ben is back. James Conner had a nice, really nice bounce back game. 16 carries, 106 yards, one touchdown. The Benny Snell stock is way down with three carries and five yards. But Deontay (laughs) Johnson, he is showing up as one of the favorite receivers for for Roethlisberger. Eight receptions, 92 yards, one touchdown. Schuster had seven receptions for 48 yards. So we're seeing that connection develop like they had with Antonio Brown and Juju Smith-Schuster. All right, to Tampa Bay, or Tampa Bay now, where, believe it or not, Tom Brady's not dead after week one. The Bucs bounce back and get a 31-17 victory over the Carolina Panthers in division. Um, not The game did not shake out the way I thought. The Bucs went out to a big 14-21-0 uh, lead, actually, and the Panthers didn't even score until the second half. Um, Christian McCaffrey left this game. We're going to get more on his injury in a little bit. But, uh, you know, without McCaffrey, this Panthers offense is, uh, leaves a lot to be desired. Um, Bridgewater, though. You know, credit to him, 33-42, 367 yards, although didn't throw two interceptions. Brady, 23-35, of 35, 217 yards, one touchdown, one pick. I don't love what 43-year-old Tom Brady looks like physically, but um, mentally I think, you know, he'll get to the offense eventually, but I think he's going to limit them on what he can do with his legs and uh, adjusting to pressure and kind of adjusting to things on the fly in general. It's so important when you're a quarterback and you're a football player in general, he just lacks that physical ability to do so at that age. Uh, this is a coming out party for Leonard Fournette, 12 carries for 103 yards and two touchdowns. So we had Ronald Jones stock. I apologize, but he, Ronald Jones still had a touchdown in this game. So not all bad in that front. Um, you know, this game really wasn't all that close. Uh, Carolina had some garbage time points in the fourth quarter, and that's kind of why Bridgewater stats look so well. But uh, Mike Evans, seven catches, 104 yards and a touchdown. He looked healthy despite being on the injury report all week. Chris Godwin being out um, didn't really affect all that much. My Scotty Miller waiver wire pickup of the week last week did not come to fruition. He only had two catches in 11 yards on three targets. Um, the Bucks defense won this game. And Devin White, a former first-round pick for the Bucks, all over the field here. He had 15 total tackles, 11 solo, one tackle for loss. He just – all over the field and Antoine Winfield Jr. also had 11 tackles. I love this Bucks defense. The potential for this defense, especially in the front seven, uh, you know, the sky's the limit for them, especially in the front, um, you know, and their secondary is not all that bad either. So uh, maybe pipe down in the expectations for the offense for Tampa and maybe hype up the defense a little bit more. Moving on to a defense that I hyped up and really didn't live up to the hype. We had the Arizona Cardinals cruising past the Washington Football Club, 30-15. to 15. All you need to know is that the MVP talk for Kyler Murray should be getting louder. He was phenomenal. When the kid can run and just elude tackles, I mean, it's just amazing. Some of his numbers, 26 for 38, 286 yards, one touchdown, one interception. Not going to kill him on the interception there. 
eight carries, 67 yards, two touchdowns. Kenyon Drake, such a great compliment for this offense, 20 carries, 86 yards. DeAndre Hopkins, uh, I mean, I'll talk about it with the Ravens and Texans, but eight receptions, 68 yards, one touchdown. Andy Isabella, Isabella, <laughs> uh, Arizona favorite, two, two receptions, 67 yards. Christian Kirk, two receptions, 57 yards. Larry Fitzgerald, seven targets, seven catches, of course, right? For mm-hmm. 50 yards. The guy never drops anything. Just, you know, everything you wanted from the Cardinals, you had it here. Kyler Murray is so unstoppable. You have to spy him, but even the linebacker that you spy him is not good enough to catch him. He's so elusive and quick with that first step. And then we take a look at Dwayne Haskins, who I didn't, I didn't think he played terrible. 19 for 33, 223 yards, one touchdown. We talked about incremental progress. We see it. We see it. Dwayne Haskins may be that dude. So then we have Terry McLaurin, seven receptions, 125 yards, one touchdown. Give a lot of credit to Riverboat Ron here. He's doing the most with a very poorly talented skill position group in the backfield at running back. And outside of Terry McLaurin, not a whole lot to work with offensively. So hats off to Riverboat Ron. Washington should be good, but Arizona's looking damn good. All right, and one of the more surprising games of the week, the defending champion Kansas City Chiefs, uh, their debut in SoFi Stadium. They went down 14 nothing quick, and get this, it was not Tyrod Taylor, it was to Justin Herbert. I don't know how this happened, but apparently Tyrod Taylor had a chest problem, and then he uh, told them that he could not play. It progressively got worse throughout the pre- pregame. Um, Justin Herbert played amazing in this game. He made some rookie mistakes, but at the end of the day here, he put on a show. It's 22 of th- uh, 33, 311 yards, one touchdown. Um, and he looked – he has a cannon for an arm. He looks the part. He is huge. Uh, he also had four carries for 18 yards and a touchdown. I absolutely love this surprising debut from Justin Herbert, something we never saw coming. Um, Austin Eckler adding 16 carries for 93 yards. But that even still was not enough for the Chargers, who had probably the most home field advantage of all these teams who don't have fans – because the Chargers typically without fans, uh, for those who do not get that joke. Patrick Mahomes didn't even play that great in this game, but still finished 27-47, 300 yards, and two touchdowns. And I'll say this about Patrick Mahomes. He had six carries for 54 yards. He also had one of the more ridiculous throws you're ever going to see uh, throughout this entire season, which isn't that surprising when it comes to Patrick Mahomes. He's rolling out to his right in the fourth quarter. They're down, and he just – on the run, as he's getting hit, launches 150 yards in the air to Tyreek Hill, who falls into the end zone for a score. If you haven't seen that throw, I highly recommend it. It is why Patrick Mahomes is the most talented quarterback in the league. And the Chiefs win this game in overtime. I was, I was uh, kind of questioning the Chargers' decision to punt it back to the Chiefs in overtime here. I understand you're on your own 34-yard line, but you punt it back, you're conceding victory at that point. Harrison Bucker is the second-best kicker in the league. It's a 54-yarder. Uh, to win the game in overtime with two minutes left, game over. So I don't love that decision by Anthony Lynn, but at the end of the day, hard-fought game for the Chargers, but coming up short against the defending champs. Then we move on to the Baltimore Ravens and Lamar Jackson versus the Houston Texans and Deshaun Watson. I think a lot of people thought this would be the game of the week, possibly. I didn't see it. Um, Deshaun Watson's so undermanned here. Baltimore wins 33-16. Game never felt like it was in question. Lamar Jackson, 18 for 24, 204 yards, one touchdown. Um, This team just runs the football down your throat. Gus Edwards, 10 carries, 73 yards. Mark Ingram, 9 carries, 55 yards. Lamar Jackson, 
16 carries, 54 yards. And then J.K. Dobbins, two carries for 48 yards. And then we take a look at the Texans, 25 for 36 for Deshaun Watson, 275 yards, one touchdown, one interception. And you know what? Mitch Trubisky has more touchdown passes than Deshaun Watson through two weeks. Anyway, David Johnson, the big trade piece in that DeAndre Hopkins, 11 carries, 34 yards. That's not going to get you 1,000 rushing yards, my friend. (laughs) And then receiving, two carries, 16 yards. David, you got a long way to go to get to that 1,000-1,000 season at this point. But just Mm -hmm. a lack of offensive weapons for the Texans. This team is probably destined to finish barely ahead of Jacksonville, but this is a bad football team with really two hard losses. And pay attention to the game of the week next week, Randy. Monday Night Football, Chiefs-Ravens, biggest game of Mm -hmm. the year. Two best teams in the league playing in prime time. i got to love that. I feel bad for the Texans. They get probably the three hardest AFC teams right off the bat here in the Chiefs, Ravens, and Steelers to start the year. So I'm not giving up on the Texans yet. Not a great start to the season for them, however. All right, it's time now for our game of the week and by far the most entertaining game if you didn't get the chance to watch. Now we welcome in fellow Giants fan and host of Dong City over in Baseball Live, our friend Vince Mercandetti joining us now to talk some Giants Bears. Vince, how you doing, my friend? <laughs> I was better before the, the end of that game, but uh, I'm doing pretty well. How are you guys? Uh, happy to be on the show here. Uh, obviously, the Giants came up short in a 17-13 loss to Matt Bushnell's Bears. Matt, I'll just give you the floor here quick and uh, talk about your uh, your ugly victory. But a win is a win nonetheless, right? You know, I, I thought at halftime the game was over. Um, Anthony Miller catches that touchdown pass. It's probably not even a game in the second half. The Bears left some opportunities out there. But the one thing I'll notice, and I'll, I'll talk about the Giants here for a second, because I think they deserve a little bit of talk. And we kind of hammered Vince a little bit about, about the Joe Judge hire. But you start seeing some traits of a football team that's fighting. And I think that's the one thing you want from a bad football team is to see if they fight, if they believe in their coach. And you, you're seeing signs of it. Against the Steelers, I think some of us have differing opinions of when they were in that game and when they were out of that game. I felt they were in that game for three quarters. They were really punching it. If Daniel Jones doesn't make that red zone interception, it's a different game. Against the Bears, I mean, here's my issue with Daniel Jones in a nutshell. The turnovers have to get cleaned up. The fumbling is enough. That shit has to stop immediately. You can't keep on getting strip sacked from behind. You have to have that innate sense of pressure coming from the back, your blind side. We get it. You have a rookie tackle protecting your blind side, but it's time to clean that up. The interception to Deion Bush, the tight end fell down on the route. I'm not sure if it's really – the timing felt a little off from the camera angle, so I didn't get a really good – feel of it I'll, I'll see more on the game tape when I review this one so I'm not sure if I'm willing to put that on Jones yet uh, Mitch in the first half Trubisky I mean what's not to love from what you saw from Mitch we talked about the dime ball against Detroit in the first in the fourth quarter on that touchdown pass another beautiful pass to Anthony Miller in the goal in the end zone Miller couldn't come down with the catch Anthony Miller, if he's going to be one of those top-tier receivers, he has to catch that pass. There's no excuse for dropping that, and there's also no excuse for dropping that huge third-down pass. He catches that third-down pass, and that touchdown pass is a completely different game, and we're probably not talking about how close this game was. I felt the Darnell Mooney play just 
great instincts by Mitch to dance around in the pocket. Something I didn't see a lot from him last year. First thing Mitch is going to do last year is twirl back, turn his back to the play, and get sacked. This season, you see him step up, manipulate the pocket, call Mooney back to him. Granted, it was a duck, but I thought it was a good play. But overall, I'll say this. The Bears have exceeded my expectations offensively with Mitch at quarterback. There's things that we have to see. I'll touch on the interceptions in a little bit. But it's progress that I'm happy to see from the Bears. All right, that's interesting. I would not feel so crazy about the Bears at the moment, but uh, we can get into that. Vince, I want to just get your initial thoughts on this game from the Giants. Uh, Obviously, Saquon Barkley going down in this game uh, ultimately for the season uh, had a large impact on this game, but I want to get your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, and the Barkley injury is devastating. It would be devastating regardless of what team he's on. I mean, that's a major, major talent loss. I think all Giants fans coming into this season are really looking forward to seeing what Daniel Jones in his second year and Saquon fully healthy and having your weapons. You know, this is one thing about Jones' rookie year that I think he doesn't get credit for. Tate, Shepard, Engram were out most of that season. <laughs> like, at one of them, at least sometimes all three were out throughout that season. So you look at the Giants roster, you say, oh, he has all these weapons. Like he's going to, you know, it's an easy transition. Well, he didn't have most of those weapons. So this game, this season, I think as Giants fans are really looking forward to see, okay, what is this puzzle that Gettleman has assembled for the offense and what's it going to look like at full strength? And now we're robbed of that because we're not going to have Saquon the rest of the year. And who knows, you know, what he's going to look like when he comes back. So that all aside, long-term, that's devastating. There's no way around it. Um, it absolutely, I mean, I've been a, I'm a supporter of the talent of Saquon taking that pick second overall, but I think nobody can acknowledge now that it was a smart pick because now Saquon's damaged goods. So <laughs> you can't, you can't get away, away from that logic. Um, that all aside, as far as the actual game's concerned, I, 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 again, it's sort of like what Matt said, you know, you, Randy, I know you're even more sick of the losing than I am. Um, at a certain point, some of these moral victories have to turn into actual victories. And it hasn't happened yet, but to Matt's point, if we look at Pittsburgh Giants week one last week, Pittsburgh wins that game by 20 last year. Um, and it's probably over early in that third quarter. You look at the game this week with the Bears, the Bears had the Giants on the mat in that first half. I mean, that was an ugly first half. Daniel Jones looked bad. He had a, he had a couple bad turnovers. The strip sack, look, I mean, that's a that's a fumble probably half the NFL makes, half the quarterbacks make. But to, to that point, like, that's what Jones focused on all offseason was not making those fumbles. So he's got to have a little bit better awareness than that. Um, but at the same token, you have to stop allowing guys behind him <laughs> to sack him. I mean, that, that's something that has to be taken care of by the line at some point. You can't have this eight, nine times a season. That's what it feels like. The, uh, the interception, again, I, it was – it was close, Matt. I saw it live, too. I don't know whether the receiver fell first, whether he threw it as the receiver fell. I don't really know the timing there. But the fact of the matter is, yeah, the receiver fell. There was no chance of that not being intercepted once that happened. Um, and last week, too, with Jones, you know, he made the one terrible decision in the red zone, and it was a bad decision. But if you notice this week, one of the encouraging things, he had the same exact situation. He threw the ball away before it could get touched by anyone so that that to me shows growth with Daniel Jones um he it's year two right so this is a year I don't think 
you look at baseball players, you look at football players, and a lot of times we're like, okay, year one, they're going to be this good. Year two, they're going to improve. Year three, they're going to improve. Improvement's not always linear. <laughs> I think we're finding that just to, to go to Dong City for a second. We're finding that with the Yankees. Their core didn't just go from like great to even better to like Hall of Fame caliber. Like sometimes you take steps back, you get hurt. So I, I don't know if my expectations with Jones this year is that he's all of a sudden going to be a top, you know, 15 NFL quarterback. But I do think obviously by year three, he's got to be a guy who could lead a team to the playoffs. And that window gets smaller and smaller the more games that he's going to play and not get to another step. So kind of stuck in the middle there. That game, you know, second half, he was much more comfortable when they adjusted the play calling, the short routes, the quick passes. Um, that's what the Giants have to do until that line gels. And I, I have confidence in the line. I think that the talents there, Thomas has held his own against two really, really good pass rushers. Um, he's not at the Nate Sauter turnstile that, that the Giants have had the last couple of years. So uh, that's an improvement there. The rest of the line, there's no one there, I think, in those two games combined where you're like, that's an absolute liability. He has to be replaced. But certainly as a unit, um, there's still some to be desired, especially on the offensive, uh, the rushing game. I mean, there's been no rushing game for two weeks now. It got a little bit better when Saquon went out. Uh, I don't think that's because Saquon went out, though. I think it's just that's just they adjusted, but it still wasn't good. I mean, I think that Gallman had like 10 rushes for 20 yards, so it was positive yardage. So that's, I guess, good, but it was still two yards a carry. Um, and then, you know, the receivers are what they are. Shepard's doing his thing again. He's hurt again. Who knows if he's going to play next week? Um, Tate and Engram, we'll see how long they hold on, but I, it's it's like one step forward, one step back with this franchise right now. But this game, to me, my biggest takeaway, long-winded, my biggest takeaway is that they fought to the end, they made it a comeback, and they had a chance to win that game. I hated the two-minute drill at the end, but at least they were in a position to win that game. Whereas last year, a game like that might be a disaster. Might have been a you know 31-10 type game instead. You know, and to, and to cut in, I know a lot of people talk about the preseason here, but that's where coaches kind of find their groove with their offensive play calling and understanding what they have. Coaches will always run a two-minute drill in the preseason, get a feel of what plays might work, how can we run this, how much time we have, clock management. And keep in mind, I, this is one of my big things about a rookie coach. Anytime you go into a season without preseason, you're not getting that clock management, even though it's the preseason. Clock management matters even in that game. You still get practice as a coach. You get used to personnel groupings, all right, get in, get out in a game situation. And I think that's kind of what hurt in that two-minute drill specifically is not having that time to practice it and get used to what plays you're comfortable with versus what plays you're not comfortable with. Yeah, it looks a lot worse because the Bears, the end of that first half, ran it like to perfection to get that last touchdown. That ends up being a huge moment in the game, you know, in hindsight. And the Steelers did the exact same thing last week. So you just, as a Giants fan, you're seeing these teams running these two-minute drills and slicing up the Giants' defense, and then their offense can't move 30 yards in two minutes. And you're just like, I don't, I don't understand what's going on here. But yeah, I mean, the, the lack of offseason definitely hurts when you're Joe Judge, but I, the mentality is in the right place. And they've been more physical and that defense really has been average these two weeks. It hasn't been bad. Um, it's been pretty middle of the road, which for the Giants, when you had a really terrible defense last year is a step in the right direction so far against two teams that aren't bad. You know, they, they both might be playoff teams. I, I, you know me, I'm negative, so I have a different opinion, especially on the Bears. And I'm going to start off with the Bears. 
this game is only close because the Bears are incapable of blowing out a team. Uh, I think that they are flawed big time. And if I'm a Bears fan, yes, I'll take the wins. I'll happily take 2-0. and I love the fight that they had against the Lions in the comeback. But you easily could have lost that game if Pat Patricia makes a better play call, if a guy catches the ball at the goal line. And this game should not have been close at all. Uh, I do not love the play calls. The, David Montgomery averaged 10 yards per touch, and yet they stopped giving him the ball for some reason. Um, the he Giants defense – uh, Well, he left the game briefly, but he did come back. So, in the second right. half, I have no idea why he wasn't the focal point of the offense. Um, Mitch Trubisky, fine. Uh, played okay in the first half, like you, said, like you mentioned. Played really well. But then, what? He had two interceptions in the second half. One was a great play by Bradbury. Um, not faulting him for that one. The other one I don't think was a great throw. And I'll say this about the Jones interception. I do not think that was a great ball placement by him either because that's – I mean, the guy's diving over the middle of the field. You're asking for that ball to get tipped and intercepted. That's happened for the Giants for the majority of my life is that every time you throw a ball <laughs> over over someone's head in the middle of the field, the receiver's not going to catch it. But they're going to do it. It's going to tip off their hands and bounce right up in the air, and there's going to be a safety on the other team that's going to land it with it. It's always happened to the Giants. It's been that way forever. Um, but to me, this the, the Bears just lack – uh, this sort of, I don't even know what to call it, but they don't come off to me as some team that's like uh, going to be able to beat good teams. Like they handled the Lions and the Giants fine, but this game should not have been close. And that to me is more of an indictment on the Bears than it is in the fight on the Giants. I will say Jones played horrible in this game. This is one of Jones' worst games, but what I like from him is his poise and that the fact that he doesn't give up on plays and that the one play he was almost sacked in the ground, he sees Deion Lewis, he flips it up to him, and he, gains, he gets the first down. Jones is not going to stop being aggressive, which I appreciate and I love no matter what. That's what we, you know, we loved and hated about Eli Manning. But um, Jones and Judge, I am voiding of all criticism, I think, for the most of this year because they are not put in, put in a situation to succeed. Uh, the offensive line is horrible. Your best player just got hurt and is done for the year. You're – your offensive repertoire is just not what everyone wants it to be, and it's banged up, and it's not the same. The play calling, I think it got better when Barkley got hurt, ironically enough, which is the whole point of me not liking running backs. There's so many factors that go into a successful running back in this situation. Deion Lewis, yeah, didn't average a lot rushing-wise, but played well, I thought, in the passing game especially. But the Bears got to put this game away, man. They shoot themselves in the foot so often. If I'm a Bears fan, like, how are you confident in them facing a good team in the future this year? Let, let, uh, I'm going to address the Trubisky interceptions first, and, th and then we can go down the line with the issues that I do see in this team. And I do agree with you, Randy. I think this is a flawed team that, you know, you hope to see progress and for them to get better to beat good teams. The nice thing is they have a soft schedule to start to build up, and hopefully that's what happens. Hopefully they get confidence and they can build up. But I have no issue. The, the first Trubisky interception, the comeback route to Allen Robinson, I, you know, I watched that play a few times. Allen has to come back to the ball harder. That's absolutely on the wide receiver. You never give a cornerback a chance to tip it or hit it up in the air. You got to come back and make a play for your quarterback. The second interception, you just got to tip your hat to Bradbury there. That was unbelievable. Um, Bradbury's the best player on the Giants defense right now, and it's not close. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I mean, he's fantastic. When you throw – I have no issue throwing a 50-50 ball to Allen Robinson. No issue at all. You want to question the play call, fine. But it's third and about four, third and three. I have no issue going to Robinson down the sideline and letting him make a play. That's what he's there for. He's your number one wide receiver. You want to try to extend him, give him a chance to make those plays so he can get it. Without those two interceptions, this isn't a game. You know, the, the Bradbury pick, 
it, here's the thing, too. Let's not forget, in the fourth quarter, Montgomery was shoving the ball down their throats. The play mm-hmm. that killed the momentum was the Cordero Patterson sweep on the outside. Why they went mm-hmm. outside when they were just gashing the Giants up the middle is beyond me. That play call killed a lot of momentum. But I, I didn't see anything that stopped the Bears' offense from moving the ball against the Giants' defense other than Matt Nagy making a questionable play call here and there. And then just the unfortunate luck on the Bradbury second interception versus, you know, that, that first interception, I think we can question decision-making, but, you know, Allen Robinson could have prevented that pick from happening. But then the defense, well, let's talk about the defense. I mean, the Giants have nothing offensively that scared me after Shepard and Barkley went out. The, this game should have been shut, closed door. Giants should not have been able to move that ball in, in that two-minute drill at all. I mean, that was completely ridiculous. All your big money players, Mac, Quinn, Akeem Hicks, Eddie Jackson, Kyle Fuller. I mean, all these guys are getting paid a crap load of money and they can't stop the Giants without Shepard and Barkley. To me, that's completely inexcusable on the defense. My biggest issue with Pagano is that he lets us put off the gas defensively late in the game. He doesn't attack with the blitz. If I'm going against a second-year quarterback, I want to attack him. You know, I'm not going to give him time to make those decisions and those quick passes. I trust my secondary to make tackles. That's what you're paying them for. Um, offensively, it still goes to the Bears. And I think the weird thing that you see with the Bears, Randy, is the identity. What are they offensively? Are they a running football team that are just going to slug it out with you? Are they going to throw the ball 40 times a game? And that falls squarely on the head coach and the play caller, Matt Nagy, because like you, I still don't know what the identity of this football team is. It plagued them last year. The offensive line these last two weeks have been running the ball and they've been pushing back and Matt Nagy still goes back to what he wants to win with. And that's what passing the football in situations that don't require it. So there's concern. As an Allen Robinson fantasy owner, I wish they were a force the ball Allen Robinson offense, but uh, we have yet to see that so far this season for the bears. We'll play uh, Allen Robinson. But, He's got to catch those yeah, passes. I agree with you. I agree. I'm kind of mad at him for that, but um, you know, this game was hard to watch. And like we said, this was going to be an ugly game. Uh, I think the Barkley injury really enhanced that. And you know, the bears going up 17, nothing. I think we all had it in our minds that this game wasn't going to be very close. And it's a credit to the giants for not giving up. And it's also on the bears for, uh, perpetually just shooting themselves in the foot play after play. And I think that this game would not be as close if that Eddie Jackson pick six stood, which I think you have an issue with that uh, pass interference call, um, which I thought was a bad throw by Jones, but ultimately he did make contact with the receiver early. So I don't, I think that was a good call. Um, but the bears had plenty of chances to blow this game wide open and they just did not do it. Um, I, I, far be, I'm very negative about the giants as everyone here in football life knows. And Vince, as you know, I think I argue with you more than anyone about it, but you know, the Steelers game, yes, they were in that game in the third quarter, but the Steelers, I thought, totally had the potential to blow that game totally out in the fourth quarter, and they kind of just milked the clock and just said, this game's over. We're not trying to walk out of here with any injuries. This game, easily, if the Bears win this game 30-13, to 13, I don't think we're having any talk about optimism about the Giants. And now I think the Saquon injury is going to have a ripple effect on the Giants going forward, although my, my uh, desire to have a running back and especially having one that's taken with that high in the draft – um, is lacking, uh, or I just don't care about it. You know, he still had value for this team. They were relying on him to be the workhorse for this offense, and now he's gone. They signed Devontae Freeman today to replace him, which I don't know how much of an impact that's going to have, considering the offensive line is not any better. And I think that, that role is going to be split between Wayne Gallman and Deion Lewis. 
Um, Vince, you know, I just want to get your thoughts on the um, ripple effect that the Barkley injury has and, you know, how much – I mean, if, if this team starts 0-5, how optimistic can you be about the Giants? Yeah, I mean, the Barkley injury can go two different ways. Uh, the first way is probably the way that you would most traditionally think of, which is that now the Giants are guaranteed not to have a running game, even, again, as the offensive line gels. And we go through this every single year with the Giants. It usually takes, for some reason, until early November for them to figure out how to run block. Uh, I, I don't know why, but it does. Now, is that going to be faster because they have more talent on the O-line this year? Maybe. Um, but to that point, now we're without Barkley, who, when he's given space, is one of the most electric players in the game. So they're going to be missing that. Um, now, the flip side of that is they have had zero running games the first two games. So you want to take Barkley out of the equation, it doesn't really matter. Because he, he made zero impact these first two games whatsoever on that offense. And the offense struggled, but against two really good defenses. Say what you want about the Bears, that defense is physical. And that defense can shut you down and smother you just like the Steelers can, and they can get to the quarterback. So I think the Giants did okay against those two defenses. They didn't light the world on fire by any means. They didn't break 20 points against either one, but they, uh, they did okay given the circumstances. Um, the other thing I can see happening, though, is Daniel Jones, like Matt said, is very aggressive. Um, I think he likes – having the game in his hands. I think he likes having the football as often as possible, throwing the football as often as possible. He's not a guy who's cut out to be a game manager, even if that might be what his level is right now. Um, he's a guy, I think, who might be able to excel knowing that Barkley's not there to kind of make his own plays and extend his own drives, as we've seen he has a knack for doing that. So I am curious, at least in that regard, if you put a running back, and this is your dream, Randy, if you put a generic running back back there like Deion Lewis or Wayne Gallman or Devontae Freeman, who I'm also not thrilled about, I don't know if he has anything left, um, does this change the dynamic of the offense? Is Engram now going to get 10 targets a game like he should be getting? Is Golden Tate going to be more involved? You know, is Caden uh, Smith, is that the other, their other tight end? I mean, that guy, to yeah. me, has a ton of talent, and he's just been non-existent the first two games. So are they going to adjust now to not having Barkley, and is that going to make the offense better this year? I think that at least there's a chance that can happen, um, even with Saquon's talent being out. But we'll have to see on that. Um, I, I, you know, it's, it's never good to take a weapon away from a young quarterback. But uh, I do think that they at least have some running backs who can maybe get a running game going. And Saquon, as good as he is, did not get the running game going because of this O-line. So to me, if the O-line improves, you probably open up more windows than you have right now. And that could make the offense better down the stretch. And maybe Jones matures better that way, or maybe it goes the complete opposite. We kind of have to wait and see. And uh, what, what was your other question for – it was a long-term question. Oh, if they're yeah, on I mean, five – yeah, if they're on five, I mean, like, I guess I kind of understand. Like, if they develop more as the season progresses and the schedule eases, like, you're, you're probably going to feel better about it. But, you know, I, I'm kind of sick of starting 0-2 every freaking year of my life. So Yeah, uh, well, you know, I mean, we've had these conversations privately. I The thing I wanted to avoid was going 0-5. And I felt like there's three games in these first five that they could win. Not saying that they'd be favorites, not saying they would win, but they could win. Two of them just passed. I thought maybe they can take a take one from the Steelers opening week. You just never know what to expect. Week one, no preseason, and you've got Judge. Maybe they're going to be, you know, flying high and mighty, and they didn't win that game. The Bears, to me, were not an insurmountable opposition. 
Um, they do a lot of things that was a bad matchup. I fully expected Tariq Cohen and Allen Robinson to destroy the Giants. Was pleasantly surprised they didn't. Um, but they still, Giants didn't win that game. So now you're talking the Niners, which you asked me a week ago, I would have said they're going to win by 30. <laughs> but now with these injuries and Jimmy G out and maybe Kittle's going to miss another week and Bosa's obviously out for the season, that becomes at least a winnable game. I don't know if they'll win anyway. They might just run for 300 yards. Um, so, you know, you have to see. I want to avoid 0-5 to answer your question, Randy. I'd love them to be 1-4, and 4, as absurd as that sounds. I think that would be an actual win for this franchise to start 1-4 and 4 and not 0-5. And, and I, too, am sick of starting 0-2 every year. But this wasn't the year where I was expecting that next step win-wise. Like, I had them at 5-11, and 11, which is what they were, or what the, you know, right around what they had been. I didn't expect them to take the, the leap win-wise, and part of it was because of a brutal schedule, and the most brutal part of their schedule are these first five games. So they start 0-5. It's, it's by no means optimistic for me, but I'm also not like, holy shit, this franchise is worse off than it was because it's kind of like, look at that schedule. Who do you expect them to definitely beat in the first five games? Yeah, I think the Bears were the most winnable game. I was pretty adamant about that, despite Matt's disdain for that take. I, I Giants had a chance to win that game, and it was – more about the Bears and the Giants to me. I obviously don't think very highly of the Giants, but I just don't also think the Bears are very special. I think they're largely beatable for most teams in the NFL. So I was kind of hoping maybe they could have pulled it out. Obviously, the Barkley injury has a little impact uh, on that. But I worry about this team starting 0-5 and then the judge aura starts to wear off on guys. That, that to me is like – That's legitimate, yeah. It's legitimate yeah, I mean, if the Giants start and, that bad. Yeah, you come in and you're hard nosed, you're making these guys run laps and it's all cute and everything and like everyone loves it, but all of a sudden like you're 0 and five and let's say you get blown out in that fifth game and it's like, all right, maybe this this isn't working. I mean I, I trust him to change, but also like I feel like that can totally a possibility. To, it's to loser me. sorry, I was just gonna say it's loser talk to say you wanna see the quality of the losses but that does matter to me here to like you said if they go against the rams or in week five they lose by 30 or it's just like an, an awful game that to me puts me in a worse place mentally and optimistically than if they lose yeah. four or five close games in a row and i'm like all right they're still fighting and they're still being physical they just aren't good enough yet to beat these teams yeah yeah my thoughts i think randy you're taking this all out of proportion in a lot of different ways when it comes to the giants not unusual for you. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, here's the thing. The roster's bad, right? It's a bad roster. How many guys are going to be on this team next year? If they legitimately improve the roster. Well, if you talk to Giants fans, they think they have a, a base already in place. So, I mean, a lot of these guys are going to be on the you, roster. You got, like, five guys. You got five guys <laughs> that will be on this team next year, realistically speaking. So, you know what? Yeah, by week five, if you're 0-5, Either the team fights or they don't, but I don't think that's an indictment on Joe Judge. I think the big, biggest thing was weeks one and two. How are they going to come out? Obviously, they were overmatched in both matchups. I'm interested to see how they come out against the 49ers, if there's fight there still. And if there's fight there, I don't worry about Judge long term. I, I saw what I need to see from this team, and that's, are you going to fight? Because a lot of these guys right now on this Giants roster, they're going to be fighting for their careers come weeks 10, 11, 12, 13, and 14. Either you can play or you're going to get the hell out of football. And that's what it comes down to at that point. It's not on Joe Judge. It's on the player's ability to go out there and play. Will the play calling be better? Will Joe Judge improve in in-game situations? Will he use his timeouts correctly? How is he going to manage the game within the game? 
And I, I think those are the things as Giants fans you need to look out for as opposed to getting the doors blown off you for by 30 or nothing. I mean, you're going to lose a game by 20-plus points this year. One, your roster stinks. And two, without Barkley and God knows how long Shepard's going to be out, it just happens. You're going to have a clunker of the game. We play the Seahawks, so that you know, you say no more. Like they're going to lose by twenty yeah. plus. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, I think the pessimism has taken its toll on you for so many years watching this team start off, uh, you know, poorly. But I, I, I do think one, the biggest thing for you guys long term will be can Daniel Jones stop with the turnovers? I mean, mm-hmm. as, at some point that has to stop. You can't turn the ball over twice a game every game and expect to win football games. I would like to see a clean stat line from Jones. That means no fumbles. Even if you recover them, I don't want to see yeah. a fumble from you. You know, right. And then I, I think he does a good enough job not making repeatable mistakes. You know, the, the first interception, you had a problem with it being a little high and going right to the safety. Yes, I was going to be intercepted nine times out of ten. It just usually happens that way. Unless you're the Giants. You never come down with that. Unless you're the, <laughs> no, <Giants>. never. <laughs> but at the same time, was the play bad? Was the decision bad? Or was no, the execution no, no, no. bad? It was probably some pressure on the play. He probably forced it. Uh, you know, he's a young quarterback. He's year two. You, I have no issue with Daniel Jones. He's going to make mistakes. I do just want to see that development. He's a lot, he's a lot further along than a lot of other guys that have been drafted in the years before and following him. So I have, you know, Jones has the biggest leash for me, despite my negativity about the Giants. Judge also has a large leash. I will address rumors. I have no idea. Ricky brought it up, and I don't know where this is coming from. I have no idea if Saquon Barkley was hurt and didn't want to go back in the game. And if he did put him back in the game, that's what led to the injury. I have no reason to believe that. I don't, I don't know why anyone has any reason to believe that. Those are just rumors that I've literally only seen in football life. So yeah. I would stop saying those things because that is that, – I mean, that is the viral, viral offense on the spot if that happened. But I, I have a hard time believing that is the case. So, um, you know, Vince, you want to make a comment on that? I, there's just there's no way it's true <laughs> and I'm not I'm not saying that because I'm a Giants fan I'm saying that because I know Saquon Barkley's character Saquon Barkley after he had that high ankle sprain or whatever it was supposed to be like a four to six week injury after that first game he was taken out of he wanted to play so the logic there that he gets hurt whatever his injury was this week and didn't want to go back into the game even though he was physically able to go back into the game, it makes zero sense whatsoever. And then on top of that, you have to add, you have to make the leap that Joe Judge is telling him he has to go back into the game, even though he's right. he's pleading not to. So the 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 situation doesn't make no sense to me. But it is a fireball offense if that was true. I just think there's a zero percent chance that that's true. Yeah, I don't know how anyone can truly believe that. I haven't seen any uh, credence to those rumors at all. So. Uh, maybe not spread those. But for me, this year is all about Judge and Jones and Thomas and maybe some other pieces because, like you said, Matt, this roster is not what, despite some Giants fans hopeful, is I don't believe that this roster is uh, the future by any means. And to me, this whole game, and I said this in your post, Vince, in Football Life, was a dark day in Giants history because Dave Gettleman hitched his wagon to the Saquon Barkley pick at number two overall. And I have never denied Saquon Barkley's talent. I love watching him play football. He's incredibly electric and fun to watch. Um, But the logic of picking a running back at two overall when you're a rebuilding team, which was the refusal at the time, you refused to believe you were a rebuilding team. You felt like you had the roster. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you felt like you had the roster to compete for a Super Bowl, and you thought Eli had another run in him. And despite who you wanted in that situation, this has become a failure for Dave Gettleman. And that pick of Barkley, despite the impressive pick of Jones, will be the end of Dave Gettleman 
and it can't come soon enough if you're a Giants fan. He will not be back here. I mean, I said this last year. You both know this. He will. I am 100% confident he won't be back here next year, whether they go and win eight games or not. I think that it was always understood that last this past draft, he was handing the reins off to Joe Judge. I think they picked Joe Judge because he was that guy who was going to take over this franchise for the foreseeable future, which is also why I think he has a super long leash, is that this, this wasn't just a head coach pick. I really think they have Joe Judge running these drafts going forward and also being the head coach, and they're going to bring in a GM or president, whatever you want to call him, who aligns with Joe Judge, um, and all of that's going to be the case. So I think that Gettleman is done. I think that the Barkley pick was a failed pick, whether you liked it at the time or not. Um, there are other picks that could have it's okay been to just It's that. okay to have new information and change your, your opinion. You know, I mean, you're I big on that, and I – and I'm in media. I know how this works. I mean, you can have an idea, and then when things change, things change. It's okay. My my opinion was always that I would take Barkley over Darnold because I didn't like Darnold out of college, and all of the things I didn't like about Darnold out of college are still true three years later. Um, but if you wanted to talk me into taking Nelson, an offensive you know offensive player, offensive line player to protect Eli in his twilight, or you want to talk about trading back the pick if that trade existed, which we don't know it did. Yeah, that, that was always on the table and was always the smartest decision. Um, neither of them happened, but if you're talking pure talent, I would have taken Barkley at two. That was my stance, and now it's a failed pick because he's, he's not going to stay healthy like Zeke did because he didn't have the line that Zeke did, and he didn't have the roster that Zeke did to keep him healthy. So that's where you're at. And like yeah. you said, Randy, the worst thing Dave Gettleman did was come in here and think he had a team that could compete instead of just blowing it up from the start. Um, it's what I hate. And that's why he was hired. And, yes. And and that's why he was hired. And that's a failure on the ownership. So Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Mara, I don't think any Giants fans are letting ownership off, though. This is the ugliest four to eight year stretch in maybe ever for the Giants. Uh, there's a lot of animosity. And 100% is. There, there's a lot of animosity <laughs> towards ownership. But, um, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I believe on this note that I think that that was the major mistake here and why this rebuild is going to go on year five next year. And we still don't know whether they're going to be a playoff team yet is because Gettleman's first year or two, he was treating the roster like they had a franchise quarterback in place and like they were going to compete for something. And they didn't have either. <laughs> Eli was cooked and, uh, and they extended him a little bit, you know, by having Beckham, like you said, and all that. But then they did basically everything I hate about baseball teams and they do it like the Phillies, Right after their World Series, they should have traded Rollins, should have traded Utley, should have blown that shit up. <laughs> Giants should have done the same thing. They didn't, and they're suffering the same exact repercussions. Philly's rebuild took like seven years. Giants are going on year five next year. So, yeah. All right. Uh, yeah, we well, have talked about this brutal game for a long time here. Matt, do you want to make one more comment for us? Yeah, well, I, I want to give our Bears fans some hope and some inspiration here because I know Randy likes trashing us quite a bit here. But a couple of things. I, I, I think from what you're seeing is the ability where the Bears can come back from deficits and one, they can hold a lead defensively. So those are two things I look forward to. And I, I don't get the talk of that this roster is not good or this roster is not special. Defensively, I've been saying, I've been hammering this home. They're the best from front to back than any other defense in this NFL season. And it's going to be a matter totally of – to staying healthy offensively they do have to get 20 points you know 
that's going to be the benchmark. Can you score 20 points a game? You score 20 points a game, this team's going to win 10 games. That's all there is to it. There's too many winnable games. They're going to beat the Vikings. They're going to beat the Lions again. The Packers will probably lose twice too, but there's no reason why they can't beat the Colts, why they can't beat the Falcons, even though I'm very hedgy on that game. And then, you know, you're going to have some battles with the Rams. But Mitch Trubisky is showing the signs that you asked for from a quarterback in year three. You're hoping it took place last year, but those throws in the middle of the field, he was dissecting the Giants' secondary mm-hmm. against the Lions in the fourth quarter. He was dissecting the Lions' secondary. And the most encouraging thing against the Lions, they were playing fucking zone. The Giants were playing zone against Trubisky, and he was dicing it up. So all I can say is there is encouraging signs for Mitch as your quarterback. I agree about the defense. I've never doubted uh... – the, the talent of the defense, especially completely from front to back. I do think they have the most talented defensive roster. Uh, and for my friend Fami, who says I'm the worst, uh, I just want to let you know that I am capable of throwing a better spiral than Mitch Trubisky is. Uh, I just want you to know that personally. All right. <laughs> Vince Mercandetti, the host of Dog City over in baseball life. Quick baseball update. Yankees are up 7-1 to over the Blue Jays right now. Go ahead and tease your show. It's cold time. I'll talk to you guys later. All right, Vince, thank you so much for joining us, Matt. It is time to move on here. And, this I mean, we talked a lot about that game, and it was largely a terrible game. So uh, apologies for some of that. But uh, we have a lot of injuries to move on to now. We're going to start off with Saquon Barkley. Um, obviously, he left the game in the second quarter against the Bears. Torn ACL confirmed he is out for the year. And, you know, you see running backs – um, you know, in the Terrier ACL, I mean, the only guy I can think of that came back and was better than before was Adrian Peterson when he came back and won MVP back in 2012, Matt. Uh, we talked a lot about Barkley, so we'll just move on quickly here. The 49ers, is, they can make up the entire list here. As you said, in their game, they dropped like flies. Nick Bosa, torn ACL. Solomon Thomas, ACL. And then Jimmy Garoppolo, high ankle sprain. Tevin Coleman, a knee sprain. And Raheem Moster, an SDL sprain. I will just quick note before I give you the floor here. Uh, Jimmy G was questionable he might still play this week even with that spring yeah you know and I know we just got done talking about the Giants to me this is a winnable Giants game as crazy as it sounds you know are they going to be able to run Jarek McKinnon you know 20 plus times 25 plus times do you trust Chris or God, I don't, Mullins Nick Mullins to lead a San Francisco 49er yeah. offense without possibly Kittle and without any wide receivers. I mean, this is a dangerous game for the 49ers, and it could be a big sign for the Giants. I mean, most are hurt. That's been their most explosive playmaker on offense so far this year. If most are, which he's not going to play, he's already been ruled out, I believe. So, and this was my thing about the frickin' 49ers that no one listened to when they trade DeForest Buckner. And maybe someone did listen to it. You, Eric Armstead, whatever, you know, you cited money. Eric Armstead was never the playmaker that Buckner was. Buckner opened up so much things for Bosa. And now you don't have Bosa. And Thomas was a bust, so I'm not even going to address Solomon Thomas in this situation. But now it's all on Eric Armstead. Good luck. I, I, I don't know how they get pressure on Daniel Jones. You know, you got Fred Warner. I, I just, I, I don't know, Randy. Sub D Ford. They signed Ziggy Ansa. Sub D Ford. I mean, well, D Ford's out too, I think. Oh, okay. I might have missed that part. But uh, yeah, so they did sign Ziggy Ansa, the former Lions uh, defensive lineman. Um, but, you know, yeah, it's it's a big hit losing Bosa. He's obviously one of the best defensive linemen 
uh, pass rushers in the entire sport. Uh, Cortland Sutton obviously affects your fantasy team, but it's going to affect the Broncos probably more this year than anything, right? Yeah, that's a tremendous loss, and a lot of pressure falls on Jerry Judy. Noah Fant, I mean, when is he going to step up? He made some nice catches, and I, I can't deny that, but he has to be the focal point of this offense now. He's got to take that pressure off Jerry Judy, and I don't know if he can. The running game looks like crap. Vic Fangio looks like he's probably going to lose his job after this season. I mean, it's just bad. You lost Von Miller. You lost Cortland Sun. Arguably your two best players on this roster, and now Drew Locke's out for, I think, four to six weeks. I, I don't know how this team comes back from this. You know, they signed Blake Bortles today. It's just, to me, the, the Broncos <laughs> are in a whole heap of trouble. Yep. Uh, the last guy I have here, and this might have changed since we started coming out live, but the next guy who's done for the year is uh, Anthony Barr, linebacker for the Vikings. He has a torn peck. Yeah, the, the Vikings, and I kind of saw this, they had a soft schedule last year. You know, a second-place schedule. They played a lot of so-so teams. I don't expect much from the Vikings. Defensively, this unit's old. I, th I think they're about done. And I wouldn't be surprised if you see them trade Thielen this offseason. There's a lot of issues with the Vikings, and I think it's time for them to start reconstructing their roster. Uh, random prediction. Adam Thielen gets traded to the New England Patriots. That's my prediction. Uh, all right. So next on the injury list here, uh, Sterling Shepard, obviously we talked about him a lot in that game, but he is out with turf toe. Uh, a lot of people laugh at turf toe, Matt, but it's a little bit more serious than people realize. It looks like he's going to miss about a month. Yeah, turf toe is one of those things where it's tricky to diagnose, but when you have it, it is extremely painful. It's hard to push off on. And, you know, you hope that it gets better, but it's one of those lingering injuries, a lot like a hamstring or a quad where, or especially a groin, where you just don't know how quickly it can heal. Yep, and I've had plenty of these in my life, but uh, Christian McCaffrey left the game early with a high ankle sprain. Um, the thing about sprains is they never really go away. Uh, it's just a matter of fact that they just feel better uh, or it eventually gets so stressed that it fractures a bone. So Christian McCaffrey going to miss four to six weeks. Obviously, he's the entire Panthers offense. And if you play fantasy football, it's a huge loss for a large part of the season. Another Bears opponent. I think they get him with CMC out. Couldn't hope for better timing. <laughs> oh, man, you were going to get lucky with the schedule, aren't you? And then the one of the shocking ones before the game was Tyrod Taylor left with a chest issue. I don't really have the details on that. Did you hear anything uh, regarding that? And the surprising thing that Anthony Lynn told me is that Tyrod Taylor is still the starting quarterback when he's healthy. So I don't know how you can make that decision based on how Herbert played in that last week. Yeah, I, I think it's a puzzling decision. Um, he had a rib injury. He took an injection before the game, and it went bad. So it caused him a lot of issues. So that's why he ended up sitting out. Yep. Uh, so that's, I mean, there's plenty more injuries that we, you know, we haven't even touched on, but those are the, the, the big ones. I, I think, I mean, Jimmy G might play um, Drew Locke is out, but a ton of injuries week two Niners blaming the turf over there in MetLife. We'll talk more about that on Friday in our preview show, but uh, they're back in MetLife surprise for them. So, all right, but we have a game on Thursday, Matt, that we're going to preview here quick. Uh, it is the battle for Florida minus the best team in Florida, if you ask me. <laughs> it is the Miami Dolphins traveling to Jacksonville to face the fighting Gardner Minshews. Uh, give me your quick thoughts on this matchup. You know, it's one of those games on NFL Network, and it's like one of those opportunities where you feel like, you know what, I'm not missing a whole lot. 
I'm going to watch it because I'm a junkie, but this is one of these games where only junkies are going to watch it. I mean, there's nothing appealing about this game until if, if Tua would start, I would be fully enthralled in this game. I, I would buy in totally, but there's, I mean, there's nothing really that draws people to this game. I mean, there's no really playmakers. Maybe Brian Flores is the best person to watch in this game outside of Minshew, but yeah, this is not one I'm super excited about. Maybe I'll go with, um, uh, you know what, I, I, I think in long story short, I will go ahead and take the um, Dolphins to win this game by a few points. Yeah, maybe by a field goal. We'll go from there. And I think. Looks like we lost Bushnell there. You there, Matt? <laughs> yeah. We lost I, you for a second. I am back for some reason. The meeting kicked me out. Interesting. So, uh, I mean, largely I agree, though. I mean, this game isn't the greatest, sexiest matchup on Thursday Night Football, but neither was the Browns and Bengals last week, and that turned out to be uh, a relatively exciting game. That game had more star power than this game, though, however. Um, the Jags and the Dolphins features a quarterback matchup of Gardner Minshew against Ryan Fitzpatrick, which uh, not ideal if you're trying to get viewers um, like I said, I love watching Gardner Mitchell play, so I'm going to watch and enjoy his uh, performance regardless. Yeah, I, I think Gardner Minshew will be very interesting to watch this game, Randy. Um, this is one of those things you just never know. You, you hope that it works out, but at the end of the day, if it doesn't, yeah, Jaguars... sort of brown, there's, the Jags don't have, offer a lot of resistance defensively, so I feel like Ryan Fitzpatrick's going to end up playing pretty well in this game. Yeah. I would agree. You got me, Matt? Yep, yep. No, I got you there, Randy. Yep. All right. So give me your official prediction for this game on Thursday night. I, I'm going to take the Dolphins 21 to the Jaguars 19. Wow. Uh, I'm going to – I don't like either of these defenses, so I think this is going to be a little bit more higher scoring. Um, but I'm going to go Jacksonville 30, Miami 24. Um, so Jacksonville's going to be two and one, believe it or not. We start, we said that this is going to be one of the worst teams in the NFL and they're going to have a winning record after three weeks, if you ask me. Okay. So we're going to talk fantasy football now for a brief minute here. Obviously we had a ton of injuries. So, uh, if you're looking to pick up a guy in the waivers tonight and possibly replace a Christian McCaffrey, a Saquon Barkley, which were the consensus top two picks in fantasy football this year. Um, you know, you obviously need to figure out what you're going to do there. Uh, I'm 0-2 in a ton of leagues, but I, it's been a situation where I have a ton of points dropped on my head, so I don't really blame myself there. I chalked that up to bad luck. If you're 0-2, don't give up. It's a long season. You could turn this thing around. Uh, we're going to help you try to make this thing work. So, Matt, if, you, if someone had Christian McCaffrey or Saquon Barkley, what running backs are you looking at this week? Well, if Daryl Henderson is out there, I think he's a solid pickup. Like I said, Jarek McKinnon, get on him as soon as you possibly can. Um, yeah. yeah. I, I know David Montgomery's out there, but Adrian Peterson's flown out in some leagues. You know, maybe take a flyer on Peterson. But those are the three big guys that I'm looking at this week to add. I have Daryl Henderson on one of my teams already, thank God. I drafted him late in the draft, and I lost Mostert, Portland Sutton, and Saquon Barkley. So I'm, I'm really hurting for help this week, and I guarantee you I got my waiver claims in for Jarek McKinnon already. 
Uh, as you know, I predicted Jarek McKinnon to win comeback player of the year. This only helps that prediction. Uh, Jarek McKinnon's going to have a nice day against the Giants, I imagine. Um, but if you have Chris McCaffrey, the backup for him, Mike Davis, uh, you know, he ha- I would assume he's going to get a- largely a lot of the touches for the Panthers. Um, Teddy Bridgewater averages the lowest yards per attempt of any quarterback. So he is a dinker and dunker. He's always been kind of that guy. So I expect Mike Davis to get some passing game work as well. Like you said, Daryl Henderson, I really like the potential for him. Jarek McKinnon, if he's out there for sure. I mentioned Miles Gaskin. He got a ton of work for the Dolphins on Sunday. Jacksonville's defense, not very good. I expect Miles Gaskin to get more work. Um, as far as Giants running backs goes, they like I said, they, they signed Devontae Freeman, who has been hurt a lot with the Falcons and hadn't played very well recently and waited to sign until this situation came about. Deion Lewis played in the absence and Saquon Barkley's absence and did okay in the passing game. If it's PPR, I would consider it, but I'm going to go contrarian because most people are going to tell you to pick up Devontae Freeman. Wayne Gallman was inactive for that bears game. And I think that was all scheme based. And I think they liked what Lewis could do opposite of Barkley, but I think Gallman's going to get a ton of work for the giants here. When Barkley was out last year, Gallman got all of the work essentially other than this, fullback Eli Penny, but Gallman, I think, is going to be the guy for the Giants' backfield going forward. Unless Freeman's healthy and surprises me, I don't see that being any different. Uh, Deion Lewis did okay, but nothing to sneeze at. Um, I really like Wayne Gallman. If you had someone, if you're someone who had Saquon Barkley, or if you're just looking for a running back, I would look at Wayne Gallman, because I'm pretty sure he'll be available. Yeah. Um, as, as far as wide receivers go, Matt, go ahead. No, go ahead. I, I just wanted to, like, I know this is crazy, but, like, right now I have Tom Brady. I want to talk about quarterbacks for a quick second, and then we can move on to wide mm-hmm. receivers. If you're struggling with Tom Brady or Baker Mayfield or any of those guys, um, at this point you may be looking at the stream quarterbacks. A good option for this week, and I, I'm just saying for this week, is Trubisky against the Falcons. And By no way it's indicative of if the Bears can win this game or not. I just have a feeling that they're going to have to throw for a lot of yards and they're going to have to try to play catch up at points. So I really like Trubisky and against the worst defense in the NFL. I'll touch on quarterbacks in a second because I have a take on a a drop situation. Um, Wide receivers. If you have Cortland Sutton uh, or, you know, (laughs) one of these guys who is missing significant time here, um, you know, Matt, what have you, what have you been looking at for receiver wise on the waiver wire? Um, Chenault Jr. from Jacksonville. I like him a lot. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to take a flyer on Darnell Mooney because I think the Bears are going to incorporate him as their number two wide receiver. I think Anthony Miller effectively played his way out of the rotation early on, especially when they wow. played their two tight end sets. Yeah, it, it wasn't good the way they talked about Anthony Miller after the game. So the, those are two guys that I'm looking at. Um, I, I would go Chenault first for Jacksonville. Minshew Mania running crazy. Hopefully he gets some targets and some touchdowns for you. Yeah, um, I'll go Golden Tate. Uh, if you have Russell, if you have Sterling Shepard stock, uh, Golden Tate's going to get a lot of those targets that Shepard would have gotten. Um, I believe Paris Campbell is on IR now for the Colts, so I would look at potentially Michael Pittman. Um, I don't know what the role in that offense is going to be for him quite yet. So maybe I'd hold off, but I would go Nikhil Harry. I really like Nikhil Harry's game that he had with the, with the Patriots. And I think that could be a, a, a sign of what things to come. And if Russell Gage somehow is still available in your league, I would try to snag him up because that Falcons offense, uh, it's going to put up points and, you know, he's been a guy who's had some production already this year. All right, Matt, give me one guy in all of fantasy that you're going to be dumping after week two, a guy that you had high hopes on and has just been absolutely a disappointment for you. Uh, you know, I, I, I can't dump them, 
although I'm strongly concerned, is Devin Singletary. He's just not getting enough points, mm. enough opportunities. Maybe if I handcuffed him with Moss, but still with Josh Allen emerging as a pass-first quarterback who's going to run the majority of the times, I just don't love that opportunity. But it's also possible that I'm thinking about dumping Tom Brady at this point. Yep. Uh, Brady's a guy that I think a lot of people had high hopes for. I don't mind if you dump Brady. Um, and the guy I have, and I kind of took him because no one else would take him, and they ended up being right here. But Carson Wentz, uh, absolutely killing me in a league that I'm in. Um, Daniel Jones is my backup there. But um, there's a lot of quarterbacks available that have played really well this year. I'm looking at Gardner Minshew, who we talked about, has put up crazy numbers this year. I love Gardner Minshew. Um, I, if you're interested in streaming quarterbacks, I'm not, but Ryan Fitzpatrick has a favorable matchup against the Jacksonville defense this week. Uh, if Justin Herbert gets the starting gig for the chargers, I wouldn't mind pulling the plug on him, but I would probably wait on that until you see more. And then Phillip Rivers is available in a ton of leagues too. And he's not the sexiest pick, but you know, he's going to be consistent enough to get you, you know, 15 to 17 points a week, which is better than what freaking Carson Wentz has done at this point. Yep, no, I, but, uh, I agree. I, I agree with the, a lot of that assessment. I'm just, I, I think at this situation, if you're dumping Brady, he was probably one of your top 10 picks. Um, at this point, maybe you just have to go to streaming quarterbacks. Tannehill's not out there. I already checked for him as um, Chris recommended. Wentz has been awful, like you said. I just don't know what options are out there for quarterback other than streaming at this option. You got to play matchups. Pay attention, know your waiver wire order, and just keep on trying to target quarterbacks with good matchups. Depending on your league, yeah, obviously. If you're in a 12-team league, you're bigger. Your quarterback uh, choices are going to be slim, but you can make it work. Uh, and I hope that some of this talk has given you some, some advice, uh, positive advice, and make your team better in the future here. All right, Matt, uh, give me a quick update on the 12-team Audible Fantasy League you got going on here. Well, uh, Corey Decker has moved to 2-0 and with his Arizona Cardinals roster. Um, r- really solid picks. I mean, Kyler Murray has been everything you could ask for and more um, from a quarterback position. DeAndre Hopkins is the real deal. Not a whole lot to criticize there. Um, Felipe, unfortunately, is 0-2, hoping on a young roster to build up. Um, still a long season, like you said. I am unfortunately one on one or one and one. Um, I played Corey this week, and he was the benefactor of Barkley, Sutton, and Mostert all getting hurt this week. So, congratulations to Corey for beating me. So, there, there's a lot to be desired. I need to get healthy, but unfortunately, mm-hmm. my two two of my top three picks ain't coming back. So I feel like Rick Pitino when he was coaching the Celtics. Saquon Barkley ain't walking through that door. <laughs> Corlin's son ain't walking through that door. So we got to win with what we got. Damn it. <laughs> what a callback. I love that. Uh, in the 10 team fantasy league this week, uh, yours truly got a, a bounce back win to move to one and one. Thanks to Aaron Jones, 45.6 fantasy points. And Matt Ryan's nearly 30 uh, scored 137 over Brett Sanchez. Uh, Aiden Schrader scored 161 points over my buddy, Anthony. Uh, he won 161 to 127, moving to 2 0. Mac Attack moved to 2 0, scoring 158 um, over Danny Dimes, which I can't even remember a lot of these players. I'm sorry. Um, but it looks like you lost in this league again, Matt, uh, <laughs> falling to 0 um, 2. I think that's Ricky. And he's dropped 146 on you to your 130 in a hard fought game. Uh, you know, a pretty good game overall. I think that's the most competitive matchup of the week. 
Actually, uh, our friend Jacob won a game 110 to 103. Um, but, you know, you, you fall into 102 – I mean, 0-2 in this 10-team league, Matt. you got to get going here. Yeah, you know, I, th- I thought Ricky would be kind enough to give me the W here. You know, Sox fans, you know, v- v- my partner in crime on White Sox game threads and baseball life. And he, j- he just had to start Darren Waller. He just couldn't bench him and give me the win, you know. I expected better from Ricky. You know, uh, to be honest, I'm a little disappointed. There's uh, no boundaries of competition, my friend. And uh, you're just going to have to deal with that L and try to get better next week. Uh, that's the nature of the game. So, uh, Matt, that's going to do it for us here on the Audible. Uh, and we're going to be back on Friday with a preview show for week three. We're going to recap Thursday Night Football. We're going to, of course, talk some fantasy football and obviously break down whatever news is going on in the NFL. Uh, by then, it's going to be Friday. I'm sure midday again. I'm sure noon Eastern time. We'll figure that out. Uh, we'll make sure to post that in the group for a listing when we confirm. But, uh, Matt, do you have any parting words for the audience? You know what? Enjoy the last week of regular season COVID-19 2020 season baseball. Football's in high gear, Randy. And I don't know what it was, but I have completely kind of just put the White Sox on the back burner. And I'm enthralled in football. The football quality this season has been pretty good, pretty surprising. So sit down, watch some football, enjoy the games. What else can I say? Well said, my friend. Uh, We've made it this far into 2020. We deserve some good football, and uh, it's a pleasure to talk football with you. Be sure to check out Over and Ball is Life tomorrow, the step back with uh, Jacob and Leon. They're going to be breaking down the NBA playoffs and the WNBA playoffs and all of the drama ensuing in their respective bubbles. My Lakers with a big, big win uh, the other night in a game-winning three-pointer by Anthony Davis, who yelled Kobe afterwards. So my heart just all in on the Lakers right now, trying to do it for Bean. Uh, and um, and then Thursday over on in Wrestling Life, you got Pod Drivers covering all things wrestling, uh, AEW, WWE, still moving strong. One of the only things that did not stop during this pandemic. Those guys do a great job over there. And like I said, we'll be back on Friday, midday, break down week three. Uh, we'll see you guys then. Thank you so much for joining us on Facebook Live or YouTube or any of the audio platforms, Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, wherever you watch the show. We greatly appreciate all the support. Um, it's been a pleasure, guys. We'll see you on Friday. This is Randy Hammond signing off for Matt Bushnell and The Audible. See you guys later.